So last week, John started us off on this new series, which is it's kind of a, a journey of self-discovery. And he talked about the first of seven areas of self-discovery, and these are all based on A.W. Tozer's work. And we looked at what we want and uh, what kind of what the deep desires of our heart are. So John talked about our want leading our walk, our work, our weight, and our worship. And he asked us to think about what it is that we truly want after all the super, superficial stuff. So he kind of gave you that as homework. So I hope you've kind of gone away and, and done a bit of soul searching um, and ask yourself what it is that you really want and desire and what it is that that says about you. So yeah, I, I love all this stuff. My library at home is mostly a collection of, of self-development books, um, both Christian and non-Christian. And so when John said he was going to do this series, I was super excited about it. Um, and so today, as I said, we're, we're going to look at what we think about most. And it got to Wednesday lunchtime this week, and, and John and I were working at home and sat across the, the dining table from each other. And John just started asking me all these questions about the science of thought and the science of thinking. And, um, and I, I was trying my best to answer but it, he, just this look of confusion on his face. And so it kind of became clear quite quickly that perhaps I should do this one <laughs> because I, I know more about thinking than John does. What can I say? <laughs> I said it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to think about thinking. Um, and, yeah, he, he just said, do you just want to do it? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So here we are. So we're thinking about thinking and... And I'm also going to get super practical, um, so I hope that's okay, and give you some tools to kind of get out of some negative thinking patterns. Let's see where this takes us. Uh, so before we even begin, what are thoughts? So I'm going to get sciencey on you for a bit. Um, because first of all, I think it's important to understand that thoughts are real. They are actual real substance. They're not some abstract floaty thing in a cloud. They're actually real matter that you can grow and develop like little trees. So I've got a picture to show you, hopefully. Um, you just have to bear with us because Yvonne's poorly. So hopefully we can get a picture up of a neuron. Neuron. Perfect. So they do look like trees, yeah. So, so this here, I'm pretty sure it's like a computer animated thing and it's probably not an actual photo but this is a, an idea of what a neuron looks like so you can see it's kind of got a branch um, branches coming off the top there's like this big trunk that comes up from the bottom corner here and then there's all these branches coming off and then those branches connect with branches from other neurons and um, and that's that's what your thoughts actually look like and so if we've got the other picture as well Jess please um, there you go, that's, that's an actual picture of an actual neuron. So you actually have these things in your brain. And, and as you think, these things are created. So it's like when you think something, a seed is planted. And then um, the more you think about it, you're watering and nourishing that seed. And then it grows into this neuron. And then out of that come these branches called dendrites. And there's all this electricity being zapped around and communicating with each other. It's pretty incredible really, isn't it? That zapped around, that's definitely a scientific term. That's, you know, it's definitely the, uh, the actual term for it. So, yeah, so we've got these neurons and these branches called dendrites. Um, so, 
not only that, but these, these new and growing thought neurons also affect and impact every single cell in your whole body. <coughs> so your body is made up of around 100 trillion cells, which I can't even get my head around that number. And every time you have a thought, it impacts every single one of your cells. So whether that's a negative thought or a positive thought, it either negatively or positively impacts every other cell in your whole body. So this is, this is very real stuff that we're talking about here. Um, and, and they also have emotions attached to them. So every time you think a thought and grow a neuron, there's also an emotion attached with that as well. So then every time you think that thought, you also feel that emotion as well. So it's just incredible the way that God has made us. I think it's amazing. I love this stuff. So that kind of gives you a bit of an overview of the science of thinking and how it all works. So Toza says that it might be true that we are what we eat, but it's perhaps even more true that we are what we think. And we've just seen that from the science as well. So he's absolutely right. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So our thoughts determine everything about us. They direct our future and they determine how we respond to our past and our present. They affect our behaviour, our emotions, our actions, our attitudes. And in the same way that, we want, that what we want or desire determines our destination, so do our thoughts, so does our thinking. So our thoughts direct us, but we can also direct our thoughts. So Mark Ritchie, he's a, a comedian evangelist, and he's got this podcast called Soul Focus. Um, and it, it looks at, his tagline is, the daily discipline of renewing your mind. And it's well worth a listen. It's really, really good. Um, he talks about there being three types of negative thinking. So there's worry, self-defeating thoughts, and sinful thoughts. And so we're going to unpack these a little bit and see if we can identify with any or all of these. So as we go through, perhaps think about which of these thought seeds you've been planting and you've been watering. So first up is worry. I am a self-confessed worrier. I'm a, a worst-case scenario type of thinker. Um, I'm debating whether or not to tell you all the thoughts that went through my head when I knew I was standing up here today, like crazy things like, um, what if I forget to get dressed? You know, <laughs> stupid things like that. Um, I'd just be preaching in my pyjamas. That's what would happen. <laughs> but, you know, I have, I have crazy thoughts like that. I'm a worst-case scenario type of thinker. Um, and it does take a lot for me to battle against that. My brain seems to naturally just go to the extreme of, of what could go wrong, of what could happen, even if it probably never will. Um, and I think, to be honest, that's made worse when you get married and have kids, because then not only could terrible things happen to me, but then now I've got this, this circle of people that I really care about, and I just think about all the terrible things that could happen to them as well. So Dan Zadra is an author and he's written loads of inspirational books and he said that worry is a misuse of the imagination. I think that's so true, isn't it? That we can dream up scenarios and pictures in our minds and we can paint a really bleak picture of what might be. Dr. Caroline Leaf, she's my hero. Um, she's a Christian neuroscientist. Um, she says that worry can be categorised into two different ways that we worry. And this, this could either be constructive or destructive. I'm a destructive worrier. This is bad worry. It's pointless worry. It doesn't get us anywhere. 
it focuses on the worry itself and it makes it bigger. It creates a bigger problem to deal with and it can be overwhelming. It will always end in a negative outcome because all your time is spent worrying on something that might never happen. And it just leaves you exhausted after being on high alert for so long. It takes the focus off God and the solution and it puts it onto the worry itself. And it's kind of like worshipping the problem. Constructive worry, on the other hand, is actually good for you. It is okay for us to worry. Um, and God has kind of put that in us with the purpose of warning, of, warning us of a, a danger or a threat. And it leads us to finding a solution. It, um, it brings our focus onto God and to a solution rather than on the worry itself. So if you, like me, are a destructive worrier, it can be really hard to get out of that pattern of thinking. But just a little tip that I've learned from Dr. Caroline Leaf, and also Mark Ritchie talks about this too in his podcast, it's to set aside a time to worry. That might sound a little bit crazy. Um, but if you kind of have a si- put aside a time, a specific time where you're actually allowed to worry, then you can save it for that time and get on with your day. So... Just as an example, if you're worried about an awkward conversation that you're going, that you have to have, and it keeps kind of pestering you and it won't leave you alone, then every time it comes to you, decide, no, I'm not going to worry about that now. I'm going to worry about that at 4pm because that's my worry time. And so you, you kind of set aside that time and you keep telling yourself that. And then when it gets to 4pm, you can sit and have a real good worry about it. You can sit and think about it for half an hour maybe. Perhaps make a list of everything that's worrying you about it. Um, see if any of it can be turned into constructive worry, so you can see if you can find a solution for any of that. Uh, ask why it's bothering you so much. Ask if there's anything that you can do about it. And then pray about it. And then if you can get into this routine of having a worry time, then it frees you up then for the rest of the day, and it takes a lot less mental energy if you're just worrying in, in that specific time. It puts a boundary around that worrying thought. And then perhaps you can get to a point where your worry time is just once a week or twice a week maybe instead of every day. And then hopefully that helps you to conquer some of the worry in your life. So the second type of thought that Mark Ritchie talks about is self-defeating thoughts. So these are the kind of thoughts that prevent us from moving forwards. They distract us from what we're trying to achieve They tell us that we'll never make it, so there's no point in trying. They're self-sabotaging and self-critical. And there's loads of ways that self-defeating thoughts can manifest themselves, whether that's perfectionism, procrastination, comparison, risky behaviours, addictions, or anything else like that. Perhaps one of the biggest of these is comparison. When, When we see others achieve... Instead of celebrating them, we can often feel rubbish about ourselves because we feel like we're not achieving. Or perhaps we're even seen to celebrate with them, but if we're honest, we feel like we're not hitting the mark somehow and we can be a bit envious. I think social media is the worst for this. I think uh, we all know really that people just put on there what they want people to see, don't they? But we can very easily fall into that trap of comparing our own boring lives, to this snapshot of someone else's perfect life, seemingly. But the reality is that their life is just the same as ours. They have the same struggles and the same difficulties. 
Although I have seen a recent splurge of over-honesty on social media too, where there seems to be a competition over who has the worst life. Um, but obviously that's just as damaging, and I'm going to leave that one there. <laughs> just leave that with you. Um, anyway, there's a, there's a quote that I've seen on Facebook, ironically, um, that says that we should be lifting each other up and spurring each other on. The sky would be awfully dark with just one star. And the truth is, it's nice that, isn't it? <laughs> the truth is that the sky is big enough for all of the stars. And so we don't need to try and outshine each other or compete with each other. We don't have to compete with anyone at all. But if we must compete with someone, it's best to compete with ourselves. So then we can become a better person than we were yesterday. But comparing ourselves with others is just so destructive and it won't end well. So another way that um, self-defeating thoughts can express themselves is through perfectionism. Um, I'm definitely a perfectionist as well, and I think I've uh, given this trait to both of our children. Um, I remember when we, were, when we were in the first lockdown and I was homeschooling the boys, and both of them just wanted everything to be perfect. Um, but Toby, who was, who was in his reception year at the time, he really wasn't up for writing anything. He'd be set these tasks at school where he had to write a sentence. Obviously, he was, he was in his first year of school, so he was just kind of learning. But the way they did it was they had three different levels. Um, so you could choose from mild, hot, or spicy. So the mild sentence that he had to write would be something like, uh, the dog is playing catch. Okay, And then if you wanted to expand on that, then he would go for the hot level. And it would be um, putting in a couple of adjectives. So it would be the brown, hairy dog is playing catch. Okay, and then if you wanted to take it to the extreme and do the top level, the spicy level, then it would be to put a joining word in. So it would be um, the, the brown, hairy dog is playing catch and running around the park. Okay, so, so that's like his three levels. And he was able to choose which one he did. Obviously, he chose mild every single time. So this, this really short, tiny sentence. Um, and it sometimes would take me an hour to get him to write this tiny sentence. I was losing my mind. <laughs> um, it was just awful, this battle that we had. But after a while, I realized that if I wasn't there watching him, then he would write it in about two minutes. <laughs> and so I kept making these excuses to leave and so I'd just say, oh, I'm, I'm just going to the toilet and see how you do while I go. And then, and then I'd come back and he'd have written this whole sentence. And very frustrating. But I realized that the reason that he didn't want to do it in front of me is because he didn't want me to see him make any mistakes. And he didn't want me to um, say, oh, no, that, that's wrong. You need to change that bit. And so he wanted it to be perfect in the first instance before I saw it. And, and that's what I realized that he was doing. And so he wanted to be able to spell every word and form every letter perfectly, and he, he didn't want to fail in the process of learning that. So perfectionism can have this same effect on us, can't it? It can bring us to a point where we're so intent on things being perfect that we don't even want to try. And it can really hold us back. It prevents us from going on a journey of learning and self-discovery. Perhaps you feel that, that way about this whole series Perhaps when last week John introduced it and said, oh, we're going on a journey of self-discovery, he thought, oh, no, I don't want to do that. 
perhaps you, uh, you don't want to kind of reflect on this stuff too deeply for fear that you might have to face some imperfections. But I want you to know that none of us here are perfect. And we're all on this journey together. Nobody's here to judge. We've all got issues, haven't we, that we're working through. Thankfully, Toby's much more confident now and he'll, he'll give things a go. He enjoys writing now to the point where this week he just randomly wrote a story at home and took it in to his teacher to give her to read out. Um, bless him. I think he's got a bit of a thing for his teacher, if I'm honest. <coughs> he also drew her a picture this week as well, so I'm just saying. <laughs> but something that might be helpful to attack these sort of self-defeating thoughts is the knowledge that we can't think two conflicting thoughts at the same time. So, for example, if I think I'm completely useless, then I can't at the same time be grateful for something. So being grateful is a really good way of attacking negative thinking and self-defeating thoughts in particular. So if you just pause and think and just think about three things that you're grateful for, then that can stop these thoughts in their track. Because it is so easy to fall into a bit of a self-pity party, isn't it? And this is just a really good way to bring you back out of that. So we mustn't allow self-defeating thoughts to hold us back. And I'm going to give some more practical help with this in a moment. But the final type of negative thought that Mark Ritchie talks about is that of sinful thoughts. So these are things like envy, greed, lust, anger and unforgiveness. We all have temptation thoughts, don't we? We're all tempted by things, but it's what we do with that that matters. Mark Ritchie likens these thoughts to wasps. He says if you let them near you, then they will sting you. So it's best not to get that close in the first place. So if we see a sinful thought chasing after us, then we have to kind of try and swat it away and not let it land. Dr. Roby, who's a clinical psychologist and a Christian speaker, was interviewed on one of Mark Ritchie's podcasts talking about these sinful thoughts. And he said that we need to give ourselves an attainable goal when it comes to sinful thoughts or behaviours. If we give ourselves an unachievable goal, then we're setting ourselves up to fail and we'll end up in a spiral of shame. So I'm going to use the metaphor of chocolate, but this applies to any sinful thought or temptation or addiction that we might be dealing with. So instead of saying, I will never eat chocolate again, which, let's be honest, is very unrealistic... You say to yourself, I won't eat chocolate yet. I'm going to wait 15 minutes and then I will eat all of the chocolate. So that kind of feels achievable, doesn't it? 15 minutes I can cope with without chocolate. And so we then use those 15 minutes to focus ourselves. Spend those 15 minutes in God's word, pray, put some worship music on um, and just really distract ourselves with wholesome, holy things, uh, talking to God. And then see if you still feel like eating all the chocolate after that. Maybe metaphor of chocolate isn't a good one because I probably would. But, <laughs> but it works well with you know, sinful thoughts and desires. And because you're inviting the Holy Spirit in and that then banishes any unholy thoughts. So one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So if you spend time with the Holy Spirit in those 15 minutes, you'll be able to conquer that temptation to fall into sin. And it makes, you should also try and make it harder for yourself to fall into sin by not buying chocolate. Okay? So whatever it is that you struggle with, make it harder to access. So you have to think it through before diving in. 
So Mark, Mark Ritchie says, if you sit next to a wasp nest, you are going to get stung. In 2 Samuel 11, we're told that King David was on the roof of his palace when he should have been at war, and this resulted in him committing adultery and murder. So we need to make sure that we are where we should be. We mustn't put ourselves in a situation where we can fall into sin. We need to position ourselves where God intends us to be. We can choose where we position ourselves. So are the people that you hang around with good? Do they cause you to have sinful thoughts or encourage you to fight against them? Does what you watch or listen to bring life to you? Or does it, again, lead you into temptation? Philippians 4 verse 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we need to position ourselves for success by being aware of our own weaknesses and aware of what it is that we allow into our brains and thinking. So in all these areas of worry, self-defeating thoughts and sinful thoughts, we need to first of all be honest with ourselves, identify what our negative thinking is and then work through it. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Around 10 years ago, um, I was told by another Christian who was in fact a Bible teacher that there should be no depressed or anxious Christians at all because every Christian should be taking their thoughts captive. Now at that time, I was suffering with depression and I was on medication for it and I could see his sentiment though it was completely unhelpful to me and to my situation and it just added to the guilt and the shame that I was already feeling. I don't imagine that it would have been very helpful to David either as he was writing the Psalms in his moments of depression or to Job as he watched his whole world disappear before his eyes. Or even, dare I say it, to Jesus as he heard of the death of his friend Lazarus or as he faced the cross. So let's be real here. Negative thinking is a part of life and it's not realistic for us to be happy all the time. Don't get me wrong, I do totally agree with this scripture that we should take our thoughts captive and align every thought with God's own heart to see ourselves as God sees us to see our situations and circumstances as only fleeting, to rely on God's providence and trust in his authority and kingship. I believe this is what Jesus did as he faced the cross, and it got him to a place that said, not my will, but your will, Father. But people said I needed to renew my mind and take my thoughts captive, but nobody could tell me how. How am I supposed to take my thoughts captive when they feel so out of control? How can I control my own thinking? I felt more like my thoughts controlled me, not the other way around. So what does that actually look like without hiding yourself away from the stresses of the world? Because if I could just remove anything that I found stressful or overwhelming, or if I could just stop thinking negative thoughts, then of course I would have done that. But it is not that simple. So let me demonstrate, if we can have the next picture up, please. If I tell you not to think of a pink elephant, 
then the chances are that all you're going to do think all you're going to think about for a few seconds is a pink elephant especially if I show you a picture of one so now I want you to ignore the giant pink elephant on the screen and think about anything except the pink elephant which you might be able to do for a second or two but if I keep saying pink elephant and you keep looking at this pink elephant then chances are you're not going to be able to remove it from your mind okay you, you can remove the pink elephant now thank you so it's the same, the same in our own brains. When we try and ignore a thought, whether it's a sinful thought, a self-defeating thought, a destructive worry, we actually give it energy to grow. So remember, thoughts are real things that grow in your brain. And if you try and ignore it or just tell it to stop, it's like you're watering a plant and it's like you're giving it that nourishment to grow. And before you know it, it's got a real hold on you and it's all you can think about. So let's take an example of money. Say you're struggling for money. It can be overwhelming when simple things come up, like say your kid gets invited to a party and you have to buy that kid a gift. Or, you know, if you've got bills coming in that you can't afford to pay. It can be hard not to give that energy because it's a very real thing. There's not a lot that can be done about it if the money isn't there. So that ends up being our focus and our whole world suddenly revolves around money and whether or not we can afford to do this or do that. And then there's the feeling that's attached to the thought. So if we're trying to provide for our children or our families, we can feel like we've failed them. If we end up having to make phone calls to the bank or to our utility companies or something, that can be really embarrassing. We start feeling shame and we start becoming depressed and laden with it all. But those thoughts and feelings don't change the situation. They just grow the worry. And this is a real example of where we can take our thoughts captive. We can't just stop thinking about it because every time a bill lands, it's like a slap in the face. But we can take control of how we think about it. We can control our response to it. We can shift our focus from our lack to God's abundance. We can take our worries to God and we use the word of God to battle against the worries we face. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Matthew 6.33 But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Philippians 4, 6-7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So I hope, just by the, reading those few verses, that you can already feel hope rising and worry diminishing. It wasn't until I found Dr. Caroline Leaf, my hero, and she is a Christian neuroscientist, that I, I heard the good news that we can use our minds to control our brains. Her books and online teachings have taught me so much about the way God designed us and how we can take control through neuroplasticity. So it's like this. I go for a walk with my friend Audrey once a week, and we often walk through a woodland area behind Cypress Point. And we do a loop through it. And part of the path is meant to be there, and it's got 
kind of these wooden planks either side to define it and show that it's there. But as we do a loop, the second half of the path um, was not meant to be there, but it's, it's quite well defined now because people have been walking along that route for years, so it's an easy walk to do a loop through the woodland. Now, if while we're walking, we decided not to follow the path and we decided that we were going to walk down the overgrown middle bit instead. Obviously, that is going to be really hard work. We'd no doubt get attacked by bushes and shrubs and things, and it wouldn't be an easy journey. But if we took that middle path every week, then eventually a new path would form, and it would become more and more defined. And then if everyone did that and started to avoid the outer path, then the middle path would be the one that would become easy to walk down and the path around the outside would become overgrown. So our brains work this same way. These are called neural pathways and they show where we have the, the same thought again and again and again, whether that's positive or negative. If we think a negative thought and we keep thinking it, then it creates an easy path in our brain and that's the one that we would always go to. And that's, that also affects everything because that becomes the lens that we see everything through. It becomes natural to us. So to say, I'm not worthy of love. They did that to me, of course, because I'm not worthy of love. That man across the street looked at me funny because I'm not worthy of love. I've got no friends, of course, because I'm not worthy of love. My spouse doesn't listen to me. My children don't listen to me because I'm not worthy of love. God doesn't see me or care about me because I'm not worthy of love. And the more we go down that path, the more defined it becomes and it affects how we see everything. It affects our relationships with other people and it affects our relationship with God. It defines who we are and how we behave. So we have to make a new path. If we've been thinking the same thought for years, it will be well defined and it will be hard work to leave that path and create a new one but it is possible. It starts with recognising what that thought is. You may have many, but just focus on one to start with. Instead of trying to stop that thought, ask yourself, why am I thinking this? Spend five minutes at the start of each day thinking about that thought. Ask yourself why, what the root is, where it comes from, what past memories are attached to it. And write it all down, but just spend five minutes at the start of each day doing this. And then find a phrase or a Bible verse that brings you hope and life, and that speaks truth into that thought and turns your negative thinking around. Remind yourself of this seven times a day. It sounds a lot, but if you're just glancing at it seven times a day, it's not a lot. You can set an alarm or even make a poster that you'll see regularly. And do something that will remind you on a regular basis. Do this thinking about a thought every day for 21 days. And keep reminding yourself of your phrase or your Bible verse every day for the following 42 days after that. It takes 63 days to form a habit. So after this cycle of 21 days of doing some real deep thinking and then 42 days of a little reminder each day, then it will become natural to you to think differently about this particular thought. And a new path will have been created. And then you pick a new negative thought and start again. It sounds like hard work, and it is, but it really makes a difference.
I've tried and tested it, and I've changed my thinking in several areas of my life. Obviously, I'm a work in progress, of course, but this process really works. I currently have an alarm on my phone that goes off at 10am every morning that just simply says, such a time as this. So that gives you an indication of the self-defeating thoughts that I've been working against. And it just reminds me that God has a purpose for my life and that I'm currently living it. It's also important to emphasise that self-discovery and taking your thoughts captive, it's a lifelong process. There are no overnight quick fixes. I do believe that God heals some people instantly and he just heals that part of the brain where the negativity has been allowed to grow and develop. But for most of us, for reasons unbeknownst to me, God wants us to go on a journey, a journey of discovery, of growth and development. There are some negative patterns of thinking that I've had for decades, so obviously it's going to take time to find a new path. And it is okay to have setbacks. But the more we replace our thoughts with God's truth, the more we grow and change to be more like him, which is, of course, what our ultimate goal is. J.B. Lightfoot said, You must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. And this is meant as a continual seeking and continual thinking. We don't just seek God once and then, well, hey, I've found him, that's it. It's continual building our relationship with him. We are continually seeking God. We are continually working on our relationship with him. So we are continually replacing our negative thinking with, with the thoughts of heaven. So now, just to close, I'm really enjoying reading the Passion Translation at the moment. And I love this verse about taking thoughts captive and the way it says it in the Passion Translation. So it says, We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow down in obedience to the Anointed One. I just think there's so much power in that language there. We can demolish every deception. We can break through every attitude. We capture every thought and we insist that it bows down. It makes it clear that we have the control over our thinking instead of allowing our thinking to control us. So if you know that this is something that you struggle with, then I do really recommend Mark Ritchie's podcast, Soul Focus, and anything by Dr. Caroline Leaf, especially if you're more sciencey. And of course, if you want any more information on anything that I've said today, I'm happy to find it for you or give it to you. Or if you just need some good Bible verses for whatever it is that you're struggling with at the moment, then obviously any of the leaders will help you with that. Please just come and ask us and we'll find some together. So I hope that this has been really helpful today and you can spend some time this week trying to think about thinking and um, shifting some of those negative thought patterns. So let's pray. Thank you. (laughs) Lord God, we thank you for the way that you've created us. Thank you that you've made us amazing beings intricately designed by you. And God, we're sorry that we've misused your creation. We've allowed negative thinking in. We ask that you would help us to change. Help us to replace our negative thinking with thoughts of heaven. 
So now, God, I pray for every person here that they would have a new revelation of your love for them and that they would be released from negative thinking. Help us to seek you and put you first in everything. Thank you that you give us your word to encourage us and keep us on the right path. Help us to keep our thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honourable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and to fasten our thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising you always. Amen.